to start this morning from science writer Bill Bryson's opening passage of a short history of nearly everything. Welcome and congratulations. I am delighted that you could make it. Getting here wasn't easy. I know. In fact, I suspect it's a little tougher than you realize. To begin with, for you to be here now, trillions of drifting atoms had somehow to assemble in an intricate and intriguingly obliging manner to create you. It's an arrangement so specialized and particular that has never been tried before and will only exist this once. For the next many years, we hope, these tiny particles will uncomplainingly engage in all of the billions of deaf cooperative efforts necessary to keep you intact and let you experience the supremely agreeable but generally underappreciated state known as existence. Why atoms take this trouble is a bit of a puzzle. Being you is not a gratifying experience at the atomic level. For all of their devoted attention, your atoms don't actually care about you. Indeed, they don't even know that you are here. Yet somehow, for the period of your existence, they will answer to a single overarching impulse to keep you, you. So thank goodness for atoms. But the fact that you have atoms and that they assemble in such a willing manner is only part of what got you here. To be here now, alive in the 21st century and smart enough to know it, you also had to be the beneficiary of an extraordinary string of biological good fortune. Survival on earth is a surprisingly tricky business. Not one of your pertinent ancestors was squashed, devoured, drowned, starved, stranded, stuck fast, untimely wounded, or otherwise deflected from its life quest of delivering a tiny charge of genetic material to the right partner at the right moment in order to perpetuate the only possible sequence of hereditary combinations that could result eventually, astoundingly, and all too briefly in you. And so I repeat Bill Bryson's words, welcome and congratulations. I'm delighted that you could make it. Getting here wasn't easy. So I've read this passage many times in my life. I love it. It's a great book. It makes me grateful. It makes me full of awe. And it makes me very tired. All that energy to arrive here and now. There's a lot of um, encouragement here at Wellsprings, other places in our lives, to be here, to be now, to be present. You know, I think probably we all know one of the most popular books in the spiritual recent canon, The Power of Now. So what do we mean when we say now? I mean, I can kind of point to it. That's what I'm going to try to do today. But ultimately, I feel it's kind of like uh, the justice, Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart. No, I'm not going to talk about Scalia this morning. When he was uh, asked to define pornography, what was his answer? I know it when I see it. Now, those are good pointers, but I want to offer something a little bit more, a little more clear, a little less vague. And the way I can start this today is by engaging in what uh, theologians of long, long time ago called the via negativa. 
I'm going to talk about what now is not, so we might get closer to what now is. So the first thing that now, being here, being present, is not, now is not a punishment. Some of you might remember this from a number of years ago. By the way, I don't know how life in hell became life is swell. Save for the fact that Matt Groening, the illustrator, got fabulously wealthy because of The Simpsons. I think that's probably why it's saying life is swell now. But for years, that little bongo, little bongo with the overbite and the one ear, the perpetually pissed off, put upon rabbit of life in hell comics. This is a recurring theme for him. He is put into a room in this one and says, can't you feel the love? Other ones, he said, you will sit in there until you understand what family values means. And other times, you will sit in there until you think about what you've done. I've got to tell you, what's really fascinating as a mindfulness teacher over these years is the number of people who bring sometimes the conscious or unconscious association with, I've got to sit here until I figure this thing out. I've got to sit here until I grind it out. I've got to sit here and eat my vegetables because then maybe I'll find out what now actually is. But now is not a think about it until you realize what you've done, punishment. It's not a grind. On the other side, the flip side of the same misunderstanding, now is not the promise of bliss unending. Ah, I blame the magazine rack. There are still magazine racks in this world. At Whole Foods for this image. You walk in there and you see all these bright, shiny faces. They always have their chins lifted up. And they're glowing like they've been freshly scrubbed. They all look wonderful. And you say to yourself, I want that. I want to get that. I want to be here now. I want to be that happy. I want that bliss. And then you sit and you think and you look at your own mind. And God damn it, where's my bliss? (laughs) Now is not fun. Now is not the promise of unending bliss. Those images lie to us. Now is not an achievement. Now is not something we do that we can say, now I get now. And by the way, this reminds me of those kind of like first year college, late night, in the dorm, in the study session conversations. And, you know, just your mind is blown because someone points out that the minute we say the word now, now is no longer now. Now is then. Oh, (laughs) the minute we say something is the is was. Oh, Again, a misunderstanding of what now is. If it's an achievement, if it's something we get to, we have another misunderstanding. We think now is an island called anomaly. As if now is a thing that can be segregated out, separated out, that we can get our hands around. And once we have it, life will become easier. That popular image of now. Peaceful, contented. Summertime and the living is easy. Maybe we think about that. We woke up this morning and it was, what, four degrees. But I would venture to say that as many of us have cruddy days in summertime than we do in early February when it's cold. And we have just as many good days in summertime 
as we do in February when it's called out. Listen, it's necessary. It is wonderful to take vacation, to get time away and time apart and recharge. And yet, honestly, right? Most of us, our lives are not on vacation. But that's the way we can assume the island now operates. It's a scarce privilege. It is set apart from our lives. The scarce now will do nothing for us when we're not on that tropical island of vacation. I think the deeper now, what I want to point out this morning, has nothing to do with the scarce privilege. It has everything to do with an invasive generosity. An invasive generosity that says, if we truly pay attention to our lives, not segregate out, not separate out, but listen to the flow of who we are, then we see that our being is always abundantly overflowing with life. This is the connected now, not the island now, not the separate now. Not the now that promises bliss, not the now that's the punishment, the now that says life is here. Where else would it be? Reverend Lee pointed this a couple weeks ago in her message in this Being Here series in which she talked about sinking in. That the paradox is that when we allow ourselves to sink into this life, what we find is that life is moving and teeming. And life will actually teach us something if we pay attention. I believe that the connected now is exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said the kingdom of God is inside of you. The realm of the divine is right here and right now in all of us. Because when we stop and we recognize we will, without needing to think about it, we can realize the all in the each is here within us. That, to me, is the kingdom of God, the all that is in each of us. It's connected. And we're connected. That's the now. Everything is connected. Once we realize that, then we have a choice. We have the choice to be consciously connected or the choice to be unconsciously connected. We can walk through this world seemingly, you know, like we're connected. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, oh, <laughs> what's that? You know, your, your kid, your spouse, somebody you care about comes in the room. Oh, what's that? Oh, that's great. It's great. You, you, you lit the lawn on fire and you spray painted the cat orange. We got to do more of that. Yeah. And pretty soon we're falling off the cliff of our own unawareness. I mean, like, you know, what, what, what's, what are they trying to wake up from in the movie The Matrix anyway, right? They're connected. (laughs) They're just not awake. It's the connected wakefulness that so many of us are searching for. That's what I think now is really all about. It's about being findable, locatable. The now is about having the interior compass of the heart, an internal GPS that says we are here. We don't need to be elsewhere. Here beautiful, here difficult, here lovely, here lonely, wherever the here is, this is us. This is not something we can get our arms around. This is not something we can control. This is a quality of presence that directs the arrows right back to our lives 
and to our own hearts. The ancient Hebrews had a wonderful way of talking about this. This is what I love about the Hebrew scriptures, scriptures in general, east, west, all different kinds. They're not theology. Theology kind of points and says, this is it. Narrative story says, ah, it's kind of like this. And pay attention to what the characters are doing because you can get pointers for what this can look like in your own life. In Hebrew scriptures, they had this recurring phrase, hineni, in the Hebrew, hineni, simply means, I am here, locatable, findable, present to myself, present to other people. All the words, enlightenment, illumination, awakening, epiphany, theophany, whatever you want to call them, they all point to this truth. The all that is in each, and we recognize it. Heard echoes this past week when Einstein's name kept coming up. A hundred years after he proposed his general theory of relativity, we found out, and again, this is something if you had asked me before, I found out that they found gravitational waves. I couldn't tell you what they were. I thought, oh, gravity waves. No, they found out gravity waves a long time ago. They found gravitational waves. I'm not going to explain the rest of that today because I can't, but it's a big deal. It proves, it demonstrates what aspects of Einstein's general theory of relativity. And so in doing this reading and trying to come to this deeper understanding, I found this amazing quote that he wrote a month before he died. To the widow of one of his fellow physicists. He wrote the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. I mean, that can sound very, ooh. And I'm not a big fan of like taking something a dead scientist wrote and saying, this proves all the spirituality we're talking about. That's not what I'm after. I think it has something to do, however, with that Bill Bryson quote at the start that I was walking around talking about. A down-to-earth understanding that has to do with presence and connection. That has to do with our atoms and it has to do with our ancestors. And wakes us up to how profoundly connected our lives are. And this is the most large truth there is. Some of you know that uh, about a month now, God, it was a month ago, yeah. I was in Haiti on a service learning trip with a bunch of other folks from Wellsprings. And we stayed at a place called MPP. The uh, movements of the Papai peasants, a ground up grassroots organization helping to bring justice and sustainability to people who live outside the urban centers in Haiti. Uh, they call their leaders, the people who helped start the organization. I posted about this on Facebook, but if you didn't you know, read it, Ben, you'll hear it now. They don't call their leaders leaders. They call them animators. <laughs> what a great word for leaders. They call them animators, people who give life. Well, one of the animators... Now an old man, a guy named Vilgar Jacques. First day we were there, he started talking about what was for him an uncomfortable truth, but he shared it openly. He said, the Haitian people, we don't trust each other. We don't trust each other. That's the first thing we have to work on if we want to actually, you know, bring this country to a deeper place of healing. And someone who understands just a very little bit about the history of Haiti, that made sense to me. Because the history of that troubled country has been one trauma after another, after another, after another. Columbus and the vicious things he did, mass slavery, colonialism, imperialism, occupation, dictatorship, one trauma after another, after another. 
And one of the things I have absolutely seen in my pastoral ministry over the years is that when families from generation to generation have one trauma after another, after another, after another, they stop trusting because it hurts too much. They close in on themselves. By the way, our job, you know, as the mostly white folks from North America to go to Haiti was not to, like, help them get beyond their trauma. That was not our job at all. It wasn't to fix anything. It was to listen about how they are doing it themselves and support the ways that we could. And so one of the things that Vilgar Jacques talked about is the foundation of the MPP way of education. It's, yeah, it teaches skills. It teaches, you know, farming. It teaches sustainable practices. But what it above teaches above all else is how to trust. How to honor those connections. How to love. How to be here now. And so, actually, what I took away from his little lecture with us is, damn, we could use some of that in our educational system here in this country, in which trust is ebbing low, in which we are so focused on getting ahead and competing with each other that, by the way, we're getting rid of all that stuff, you know, art, and music, all those things that help us trust, help us stay connected to our own hearts. So what Vilgar Jacques was talking about is this capacity wherever we live, to not defer and defer and defer. I understand taking a break. We all need to do that. But if our lives are a series of just pushing off and pushing off and pushing off the difficult things or the things we don't want to face, pretty soon we will find that our aptitude at living a life of any depth is very, very thin. One of the most profound things in that time in Haiti, for me, was the ways in which the stories of their ancestors, of the Haitian people, was present. I mean, at night we would hear voodoo drums coming from the countryside, from the hills. One of the things that I find in my life and in other people's lives is that so much of our pain comes from that unconscious connection, that matrix-like living before we wake up, from others' people pain from long ago, that we're still living out. Perhaps like this guy. That's the new Star Wars. Well, is there anyone here who hasn't seen it who wants to see it? All right, then maybe close your ears for a second here. <laughs> this is Kylo Ren. He is the grandson of the fellow who used to wear that mask, Darth Vader. And one of the things about the Star Wars movie that's really interesting uh, that a lot of people have noted is that it's so much like episode uh, four, you know, the real Star Wars. Uh, let us never speak again of the first trilogy. One, two, three. We'll never talk of that again. It doesn't count. Yes. So uh, my friend uh, Dave, he wrote about this movie, about the new Star Wars movie, episode seven, Force Awakens. And he said all that repetition of where episode seven seems like episode four, you're like, yeah, maybe it's about selling merchandise. Or oh, I remember this was like the Death Star and this reminds me of that. He's saying, okay, yeah, that's a legitimate interpretation. But my friend Dave is, is a, a Jungian analyst. He's into how things repeat from generation to generation. And he says all that repetition is not just to sell merchandise and not just to make generation Xers like myself feel really comfortable like we're recapturing our childhood. No, he's talking about how the grandson of Darth Vader, thinking that Darth Vader was somehow defeated, 
has gotten rid of all the negative stuff. It's in the past. And my friend, the Jungian, the depth psychologist, said, no. That's not the way that evil, that the bad stuff goes away. Never defeated once and for all. What my friend Dave was uh, writing about reminds me of this great quote from the Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He said, if only it were so simple to get rid of evil, the difficult stuff, if only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of their own heart? Not destroying a piece of the heart is healing the heart. And so my friend Dave, he thinks he knows what's coming in the next couple, the final two Star Wars movies. It's not defeat of all the bad stuff, the dark side. It is, in fact, what we've been promised all along. Balance. Integration. Being here now with all of it. Coming home to ourselves. Coming home to this very moment in which all of it is present. So, uh, yes, I saw Bruce Springsteen on Friday night for, I think, the 12th or 13th time in my life. And, yes, it was a religious experience, as it always is. And, yes, we did the rising today because I asked them to do it, and they said yes. <laughs> and I saw Bruce do a song that I'd never seen him do live before. It's a song I love. It's a song called Independence Day. He introduces it by saying, it's one of these songs in which, you know, you're starting to get older as a person. He says, I'm starting to get older as a man. And I'm starting to recognize the, the choices that my dad made that were compromises he had to make. The song Independence Day is, yeah, all about him leaving home, needing to leave home, chart another course for his life. Individuation, they would call it, the psychologists would. But it's not just that song that so many young men and young women make. Music, sticking, you know, a finger in the eye of our parents and say, I'm never going to be anything like you. This song is different. In this song, the young Bruce talking to his father or a father-like figure is understanding how much they are alike. And how much pain his father has been in. And in a line that I got to tell you just slayed me, and I'd heard it many times before, there was something about seeing it live, something that resonated with my own heart. A line that says, Papa, I know the things you wanted that you could not say. I never meant to take those things away. That step towards individuation of becoming ourselves at the same time is also a step with compassion back to his own family. Back to his own heritage. Back to the father that he is not that this somewhere from. And in forgiving his father, he also starts to forgive himself. And by the way, I was not, by any means, at least seeing the people in the section, and especially the men in my section, the only 40-something guy wiping tears out of his eyes when we heard Independence Day being performed on Friday night. One of the most powerful stories I know of this kind of transgenerational, intergenerational healing it's from a friend of mine who I haven't talked to in years. Not because we fell out, our paths just departed, and I'm not sure where they are. This is a friend of mine who came from one of those families of such incredible dysfunction and pain that 
even if I wanted to share the whole story, I could. I couldn't. Violence and dysfunction and addiction and people turning on each other. And again, it's one of those generation after generation and generation. They couldn't even find where it all came from. It went back, as they said, to the old country. And my friend took it out on herself in brutal ways. Falling deep, deep down into that dark hole of addiction and self-abuse. She stayed there for years. Until one night, she said, this night I really want to try and change. I, I really want to try and transform my life. She looked at herself in the mirror. And she saw the reflection of her own eyes. And she said, my God, my eyes are blue. I could not remember for 10 years what the color of my eyes were. That's how deeply estranged she was from herself. That she couldn't even remember the color of her own eyes. But then she started crying because she realized one more thing. Her eyes were exactly the same color as her mom's. Her mom, who she had spent years battling, years hating, with good reason, by the way. Her mom was a terrible mom. But her mom's mom was a terrible mom. And her mom's 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 mom was a terrible mom all the way back. And in this moment of seeing not just herself for the first time clearly in a decade, but also seeing her mom, she started to cry. And it was almost as if she wasn't just seeing herself. She was her mom seeing herself through her. Now, you know, the story would be wonderful, right? If in that moment, that holy now, everything was cleared up and forgiveness was automatic. It wasn't. But it was the start. It was the absolute realization in that moment of the years, the decades, perhaps even the centuries of pain that led there. It was that moment, as I like to understand it, where the realization of our karma, all the causes, all the consequences, arrives home right there, right now. And that's grace. The realization that we can choose a different path. We don't have to flee from who we are any longer. We don't have to run away. That's what addiction to a substance or a way of thinking is all about. It's all about running away. The opposite is being here now with all of it. It's the realization of what one of the great teachers of our tradition, William Ellery Channing, said. I am a living member of the great family of all souls. We all are living members of the great family of all souls. Atomically, genetically, ancestrally, familially, ethically, spiritually, we all are members of the great family of all souls. If we can let that sink in, we will recognize how incredibly powerful our lives are. How much power of the generations is contained in us right now and how much power each of us has to harm or to heal, to hurt 
or to help. Recognizing that we are all members of that great family of all souls. May we make choices today in this holy now that help and that heal and that bring forth the wholeness that we already are. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me, please? Timeless and timeful spirit. From whom, wordlessly, often we receive the encouragement, integrate, integrate, integrate. Do not separate ourselves any longer from our own hearts or from each other. Do not separate ourselves any longer from that which gives us our life, even if that which gives us our life is a painful thing because it is still our lives. May we be separated no longer from each other, from our hearts. May this connected awakening be ours, this day, this hour, this now, this breath. Amen.